You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Jack Lewin, Chief Executive Officer of the American College of Cardiology. In July of 2008, Congress postponed major projected cuts for our Medicare payments and offered a small raise in compensation for this year. How can you determine whether your practice will see the proposed returns from Medicare? Let's find out. Our guest is Dr. James Dove, the immediate past president of the American College of Cardiology and founding partner of Prairie Cardiovascular Consultants, a 47-member group of physicians serving Central and Southern Illinois. Welcome, Dr. Dove. Glad to be here, Jack. Thank you. Jim, you know, you really are an icon in quality of care improvement, and how can quality best be integrated into the healthcare system? Well, I think the issue, which is very difficult for people to understand, is that for this to be integrated appropriately within the practice community, it's going to have to be within the workflow. And integrating quality within the workflow is a very poorly understood concept at this point. And if you start to integrate it and don't think how physicians are going to be seeing patients and sort of doing it all at the same time, then you're going to have a non-starter in terms of getting quality integrated. That doesn't mean physicians don't want to do it. It just means that with the current pressures, they have limited time to do it, and you have to sort of give them the tools to do it at the time they see the patient. It's the most efficient way to do it, and it does work. Well, if you take that and focus it more specifically on cardiovascular medicine, what about CV professionals and the workflow? What kinds of things do we need to do to go from here to there where we want to be? When you look at what the guideline process is in terms of how we put the literature together and give it back to the members, they really understand that pretty well. And they really have most of that information in their knowledge base. We're not trying to educate cardiovascular professionals so much about what the guidelines are because when we do guidelines, it's commonly accepted uh, treatment modalities for the most part. What we haven't done is give them the tools so they remember how to do that as they see a patient from one room to the next. And every time we give them tools, we see them perform. I mean, the best measure of that is what we did with door-to-balloon time. So when we put tools together, physicians knew that they were supposed to try to do angioplasty within 90 minutes. We put the tools together. Suddenly, they signed up in droves, as you all know. I mean, over 1,000 hospitals signed up right away because they were hungry for these tools. They want to do the right thing. And then not only did they sign up, but then they did. They performed. And we saw tremendous changes in terms of meeting that 90-minute goal. Without getting any extra money, too. They just did it. You know, they just did it because we gave them the data, and they saw that there was room for improvement. Yeah. So instead of just sort of giving them 400 pages, which I have to say, just as an aside, I think is critical because I think that when I see a guideline recommendation, I may want to know why they made that recommendation. And I can go to the guidelines and read the rationale of the committee as to why they made that decision. I know I can't apply 400 pages at the bedside, but that's where the tools come in is we develop tools that allow them to apply the essence of the 400 pages to the bedside. One of the tools, I presume, is clinical decision support. And, you know, do you think people can buy into the idea that clinical decision support is beyond a cookbook and it's really something that can help patients and help improve quality? I think they can buy into that. I think the cookbook is much overplayed because when we're talking about this first sort of phase of clinical decision support, we're talking about class one recommendations that basically would be done in 95% of the patients that you see, uh, perhaps even all the patients that you see, for that matter, with coronary disease, for instance, or heart failure, or hypertension, or hyperlipidemia. So we're talking about things that are well-recognized. So I don't think there'll be dissent 
so much in terms of what those performance measures are or those process measures, uh, but we need to work into the tools. So if we give them a tool that they have to go back and forth and uh, enter lots of data by hand, that it's a non-starter. It just won't happen. But, you know, at Prairie, you're using clinical decision support. How's that working? It works extremely well. When we look at our adherence to the process measures for managing coronary disease and hypertension, there's 100% compliance. It's just unbelievable that, again, the tools are there. But it is in the workflow. So as the physician sees the patient, they can work on the quality page all at the same time and order studies, order meds, check what the results are, laboratory studies and procedures, et cetera. So it's all right there. This is all the electronic version that actually functions outside the electronic medical record, and then it goes back and is stored in the electronic medical record. That's the process in terms of looking at that. So if you've actually done everything for the patient, then it's 90 seconds to review that. If you haven't done it, then you need to deal with it, of course. And then if you want to order another study for whatever reason, you can pull that up and order the study again from the same page. So there's no bouncing back and forth. I've seen some of what you've done, and it's amazing. What kind of pushback did you get? I mean, some people must have said, wait a minute, I'm not doing this. How did you actually build into the workflow? We got tremendous pushback. But when we started, we had people that hadn't even used the Internet, right? You know, we're talking back in the early 2000s, right? So, so some people hadn't even been using the Internet. And so we thought at first, well, let's, let's get some of our physicians who are very facile with the Internet, and those people will help us design it. That was the wrong decision. So we made a different strategy, which was designed for the casual user. We designed the product that way and then allowed the physicians and nurses and secretaries to continuously give us input in terms of what was working. We responded to that input. And so the product over the period of time has continued to improve because it's been directed by the people who are using it. And uh, by giving them that kind of input that could be implemented very quickly, they've used it very, very effectively at this point. Let me ask you something in your opinion about the current efforts to promote quality that are out there. I mean, we have the Physicians Quality Program in Medicare, the PQRI. We have CMS demos. We've got a bunch of things going on in the private sector as well. Any comments about those? Are they working? Are they successful? How would you improve upon them? Well, I think the issue is that what we're measuring and what CMS is measuring in the PQRI are process measures. And if we take process measures, which come directly from the guidelines, and the guidelines are designed to sort of improve patient care and hopefully the link to outcomes is going to be there because you're doing what the guidelines, what the literature said to do. Closing the loop on outcomes is a very difficult thing to do for the individual physician because the numbers are small. You have to sort of close the loop for either regions or groups, or large groups. But the important thing for physicians and for PAs and NPs is that they believe the data. And when they have hard, factual, electronic data, then they know the data is correct. And they know that you can go back and check it. And you can analyze it very quickly. I just did an analysis this morning of all the people in the practice in the last year, 48,000 patients were in the electronic record, and how many of them had diabetes? And we just did that analysis. It took 10 minutes to do that. So, I mean, the electronic power is incredible in doing that. So I think it's important that we use physician data that's electronic. You could scan it in. You could use scanning tools at this point. It's just more labor-intensive. I think that's where we should be going. Physicians won't believe data that is coming from claims data that's inaccurate frequently, and they won't use data that has some black box cost calculation that assumes that low use is the ideal place to be. Physicians don't trust that data, and they're not going to respond to that. Jim, this is fascinating stuff. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD.com, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jack Lewin. 
Our guest is Dr. James Dove, the immediate past president of the American College of Cardiology and founding partner of Prairie Cardiovascular Consultants, a 47-member group of physicians serving Central and Southern Illinois. We're discussing Medicare physician payments. Jim, what do you see as the major problems with the current payment system that we're experiencing right now? We have a lot of problems with the payment system because it has many perverse incentives. So it's based on volume, based on how many procedures or tests or visits you do. And that's just the wrong incentives. But there is no perfect payment system. I mean, I've looked extensively at payment systems in terms of whether people are on salary or whether people are on capitation or on fee-for-service. And every payment system has its flaws. So there isn't an ideal payment system. But I think, actually, the college has talked about a payment system that's a hybrid. And so you're looking at a hybrid system that may be composed of some fee-for-service components, some quality initiative components, that is, you put in place quality tools and measures that improve adherence to the guidelines and performance measures, but also may engage the patient in terms of adherence to the medications that were prescribed for them. And then you may also then have uh, some episodes of care where there are some defined things that we do that could be very well encapsulated into an episode of care, say such as ablation or maybe even interventional cardiology for acute MI. So I think there are a few things that we could do as episodes of care. And I think when we look at that, we're going to have a system that is sort of that hybrid. I think that would be a system that would not only incentivize the physicians to see patients and do things, but also incentivize them to use quality tools to improve the care. So you're looking at reforming the system to encourage quality and put incentives in place to do it. Any idea how we might actually get at that? I mean, we hear the Congress talking about, you know, throwing money almost like a capital investment into buying electronic medical records for doctors, and that seems like a folly. How would we actually go about doing this? I don't think that just because we said it would be good that the Congress will roll over and play dead and say, okay, go for it, let's do that. I think we're going to have to have some demonstration projects. You get impatient with demonstration projects because you sort of think, well, this is going to work. It has to work because we have to do something to change the current payment system. And a demonstration project takes time to get it done and get the results out of it. But I don't think they're going to believe us until we do some demonstration projects. So I think it's a matter of putting together that kind of a project that is maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 practices. I don't know what the right number is, uh, where we sort of pay them in this mechanism and and test the concepts I just laid out, and then actually even uh, learn from those concepts, because I'm sure that even those initial ideas may be modified based on how it plays in the real world as you're taking care of patients. Well, would this be using the NCDR, the National Cardiovascular Data Registry that the college has up in the hospital setting? I think that is very important as a part of doing quality. So if you're looking at the outcomes on CAS and angioplasty, I think those are ways that you look at quality measures that are independent of the individual physician, meaning they don't control the numbers. The numbers are what they are. And it is data that physicians believe. So I think absolutely that the registries, the NCDR like that, would be a significant component of this. I guess as I'm hearing this vision, and it's what you put in place, you know, doctors need some kind of a business case to invest in EMRs. They need clinical decision support on top of the EMR that helps guide them with the performance measures that we've so painstakingly developed and now the appropriate use criteria for technology and so forth. And then uh, some system to measure how they're doing, collect that data, which is like the NCDR. Now, the ACC has a kind of a proposed reform legislation that would put all that together and maybe have a financial incentive. Any comment about that idea? How do you think that would work? 
Well, no, I think it would work very well. I mean, I think that what we need to do is have people partner with us and realize that I have not talked to a physician yet that doesn't want to practice the best medicine they can. I suppose there are some there, but I've never seen them. And I think everybody wants to practice the best medicine, just need a way to approach that. And I think Congress and the public wants the best medicine. Again, no patient ever comes in asking for the cheap medicine. I think when we look at that, then we say, so how can we meet those two needs? And that's going to require tools that help us get there, help the physicians and physicians' assistants, et cetera, get there with the patient, but also helps the patient get there. And I think a system like this that's electronic could do that very well. We've been talking about Medicare physician payments with Dr. James Dove. Jim, thank you for being our guest today. This was a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate being here. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.